I'm Romy Newman, the co-founder and president of Fairy God Boss, and this is Fairy God Boss Radio. Hi, everyone. Welcome. So glad to be with you here today. I'm joined by Allison Engel, who's Senior Director of Women's Market Strategy at Northwestern Mutual. Allison, welcome to the show. We're so glad to have you. Thank you. I'm so thrilled to be here today. Allison, tell us a little bit about you, your career journey, and what you do today. It's an interesting question. I would say my career has just been fortuitous that it's taken me to really fantastic places and by no means, and I wish it was by design. But early on, I started my career. I'm a Los Angeles native working for various startups and media companies. And then about 10 years ago, I transitioned. Me and my husband moved to Austin, Texas, and I had the wonderful opportunity to take a role at Dell, which is now Dell Technologies. And through that experience, got to be part of what I will call a SEAL team, if you will. We were pulled together to really help Dell figure out how to better tap into and connect with the entrepreneur community. And so for about half a decade, spent um, a great amount of time with this team building out what became Dell for Entrepreneurs. And through that worked with uh, female entrepreneurs across the globe, which really then led into what I do today as um, Senior Director of Women's Market Strategy at Northwestern Mutual, which is how can enterprises better recruit, retain, develop, promote women um, throughout their organizations? And quite frankly, my focus has been on historically male-dominated industries. I love it. I mean, there's nothing we think about more, I think, at Fairy God Boss than exactly <laughs> what you're thinking about. So it aligns very well. I know that in the midst of doing all of these big things in your career, you've also kind of pursued a side hustle. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yes. So apparently I'm not happy unless I'm extremely busy. Uh, I get that too. <laughs> I think I think you're my spirit animal. But, you know, one of the things in having really explored some of the hurdles and obstacles that women have experienced both um, as entrepreneurs and um, in enterprises and corporations, I wanted to write a book and really start to capture all of my learnings, all of the insights, all of the great stories, quite frankly, that women across the globe have shared with me. And so I started putting together my thoughts and I'm about halfway through my book titled Generalizations, but really I'm focusing on what are the generalizations that um, people, organizations, and leaders are making about women as they're trying to navigate their careers. Well, I love it. And that is specifically why I wanted to talk to you today, because I think there's something magical and deeply impressive about somebody who's got a full-time job a small child and who says, you know what, that's not enough. I'm going to write a book that will help change the world and help drive more gender equality throughout workplaces. So congratulations. I think that's really impressive. So what I'm interested in, was there something about your personal or career experience that interested you in pursuing this topic of women's issues? Was it something that you figured out at Dell? Uh, because now clearly it's sort of your, your signature definer. Yeah, it's, you know, it's really interesting. And I'll commonly say, like, I never actually realized I was a woman until I started getting deep into this work. And so I think like many of us, especially when you're younger, had the luxury of almost moving through organizational blissful ignorance that I was 
at any disadvantage, right? Because all of us were showing up as our individuals and our best selves. I felt that way too, 100%. I thought the world was like 50-50. Right. The, the world is my oyster. I can accomplish anything that I set my mind to. And what I think was an interesting backdrop for me as well is I had the fortune of working for incredible leaders, both men and women. And when I got to Dell, especially, I had this stream of really strong female leaders. So I had always examples um, of who I aspired to be like, um, which I know is not common, right? As I've gotten deeper into this work. And so as I started delving deeper into my relationships with the female entrepreneurs across the globe and finding out about things like access to capital being exponentially more difficult, right? That um, even getting loans or qualifying for um, different forms of dollars was more difficult, getting meetings with VCs, um, just some of even the psychographic uh, challenge and headwinds and the imposter syndrome and all of these other things that we now, right, in 2020 have done deep dive on. This was back in 2013, 2014, when we were just starting to sort of tip the scales on it. And so when I sat back and really said, wow, I have come from a great place of fortune. And not only that, because I now sit in an enterprise position at an organization like Dell, I have the opportunity to use my voice for good. And so I knew that I could send an email on behalf of some of these women. And because I had at Dell.com at the end, I was more likely to get a response. Or because I had a seat at an executive table with president and stakeholders within large organizations because of where I work, I could get some of the mind share around it. And so it really started transition is how could I use my powers for good um, to really start to enable those who were doing this amazing work and had a brilliance that quite frankly, when you looked at it, I almost aspired to be. And um, so if I could be a conduit in their journey, then that for me was a gift. And I think that's incredible and actually kind of a mark of a sea change that we're seeing hopefully in our generation versus the previous generation where previously if women established clout, uh, I think it was harder and, and uh, more self-conscious for them to use it in, in the service of other women. But it sounds like you're leading the way to show how establishing kind of a beachhead of power enables you to pull others along with you. I think that's incredible. Yeah, it's been fantastic. And for me, the gift through all of this has been the relationships. And I know you probably find this as well. Women love to share their stories. And it's the human connection that I think is actually almost greater sometimes than the business connection. And one thing I've noticed about women, we love to do business with each other. And when we build that on the foundation of the human connection we have, then the business part is almost like gravy. And it's what I think propels all of us to move forward and form like our own ecosystem of success. I couldn't agree more. I feel so grateful for the amazing women I've gotten to meet throughout my career journey. Something else that we talked about when we prepared, um, I thought was so interesting, is how you've adapted to working in very different environments and what that's been like. Can you talk a little bit about that experience? Yeah. So, um, you know, Full transparency, I'm from LA. I grew up in the entertainment industry. Um, I professionally had a very different professional growth pattern than I think a lot of other people who started in different parts of the country. And so culturally, when I showed up in the Midwest, my work style was very different based on tech and other companies that just had 
a cadence of, of, of moving faster the way that they ap- approach their job. So for me, I had to take a step back and say, right, what got me here, right, to be cliche isn't going to get me there because I'm operating in a different way than the rest of the organization. And, and you and I started to discuss, well, right, do companies really want you to be your authentic self? Because yeah. I, was, I was bringing my, what I thought my authentic work self to the table. But what I had to really figure out very quickly, and I have since done a deeper dive into this, my authentic self needed to map to the culture of the organization. And as much as I think a lot of us want to be changing agents and proponents of change within our organizations to drive them to what we perceive is sort of a better state, in, in a lot of instances, and what I found out is I, need to, I needed to figure out what the culture was and to a certain extent be accepted by the culture before I could be that agent of change. And, you know, if COVID taught us anything, obviously my authentic self wear yoga pants every day. Work does not want that authentic self showing up to the table. So I had to figure out what were the norms, how could I adhere to them, and then how could I embed myself so that I could make the changes to move us forward in the right way. Because I think in the work that we do, you're trying to change mindset and, and move things forward. But if you don't do that from a place of knowing, it's really hard to do it all at once. I agree. So what's interesting then about your work is you're helping corporations change their expectations of what workers are, right? Because the workplace is becoming more majority female. And what what I often say is, look, we all go to work in kind of workplaces under work protocols that were designed for a predominantly male workplace. So there's Mm -hmm. some sort of adjustment on the part of the workplace and then some sort of expectation for the worker to kind of fit to the culture. What do you advise to companies? How can companies think about meeting women in the middle to be more female friendly or female oriented workplaces? Yeah. And I think it's, I think it's twofold. So the first is if you're looking just for employees who are culture fit, that's actually code for someone just like me. And when you're looking to, I think, evolve your organization and really take advantage of what is the predominant talent pool right now, right? Women were more abundant coming out, right? We're more educated. We're graduating college at a rate of like 57%. Um, and we're starting to tip the scales on, on breadwinners. So this, this is the population that you want to be going after. I think you have to look, really take a step back and say, what am I looking into for in an employee and what will they add to my culture? So it's this abundance mentality of saying there is going to be change, but there's going to be a value chain, right, associated with it. The second thing is, I think there's a vulnerability that organizations have to go through. And you need to be able to look in the mirror and say, we really need to unpack the foundation that we were built on and really try to start identifying are there processes or cultural norms that we have in place that may be obstacles or prohibitive for us to get the talent or retain the talent that we want in our organization? And that's not an easy thing for companies, especially companies who I think have been extremely successful to say, right, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But, you know, you have to sort of flip it and say, if we want to grow what do we need to do to evolve? And so I think there's a lot of work that needs to be done. Right. It's a little bit of an innovator dilemma. So let's talk then about work-life balance. 
How do companies think about establishing work-life balance that still maximize productivity and uh, is respectful toward employees, engages employees? And and how does what does that look like for you? How have you practiced work-life balance? That's a great question, and I think the misnomer out there is that there's any such thing as balance anywhere. I I think every day as women and as people, we make choices and some days we're going to over-index in one direction and we may be work heavy and in other days we may over-index in the other direction and focus on our kids. And then some days, and women, we don't do this enough, is where we need to over-index on ourselves um, and reroute ourselves in who we are. And so from an organizational standpoint, if I had to provide sort of, you know, guardrails for how organizations should think about it, employees will react when there's permission granted. And so I think there's really a responsibility for leaders to model behavior. So there's one thing if an organization can say, we believe in work-life balance, but then you see all of the leaders' organizations in at 7 a.m. in the morning, they're not leaving, they're actively, you know, missing, you know, children's soccer practices or, or whatever it is. There's another if you see your leaders coming in, talking about themselves outside of work and how that's playing into who they are as an individual and making conscious decisions to say, hey, have to leave for a doctor's appointment today, or I'm going to go make sure that I'm part of this for my family and really owning that they're not bifurcating who they are, but there's an integration and that both their home and work selves can coexist with one another. Um, So I think it's really about the permission granted by the behavior. COVID has taught us a lot that looking at each other in person does not necessarily need to happen in order for work to happen. And I think so, like work will never be the same. We're going to see this, I think, as a shift in the entire way that our country has figured out how to work. So I think leaders right now are getting a lot more comfortable with remote work, virtual check-ins, really trust that their employees are getting their jobs done. So as many terrible things that are happening surrounding this, there's going to be, I think, some positive changes from a work perspective coming out of it. Yeah, I hope so for sure. And I I know I've struggled a little bit as a manager in all of this because I realized that to your point, I I was managing a lot based on um, physical or sort of nonverbal cues. I was trying to manage by example, by the work that, you know, expecting my, my team to work the way I did. And that's out the window. So it really does change the way you work and the way that you communicate. In D&I, we talk about that as a distance bias, right? Close is good, far is bad. Um, but now we've leveled the playing field. And, and to answer, I think the second part of your question was how am I managing through it? I am a schedule person. And so for me, I know that when I'm on, I'm working, I am doubled down and doing as much work as possible. You're not going to find me on Facebook. You're not going to find me doing anything that is not moving the work I need to forward because I know that at a certain point in my day, and especially I think it's even more critical now, right, that we all seem to be living in this long day that never ends from working at home. I have a hard stop on my calendar and I know that, right, I no longer have my commute home. I no longer have that time to decompress from work, Allison, going into mom, Allison, and wife, Allison. So what I have done and what really powers me is at four o'clock, I stop and I go and I work out. So I go running or do whatever I need to do just to reset and reground myself. And then I'm able to sort of re-enter 
right? Half of my day as the mom, the wife, at this point, the housekeeper, I need to keep the, the house and the family going in that sort of second shift that I have that's so critically a part of my life. I love it. So then let's talk a little bit in general and in the world of COVID. What makes a good manager? If you're, if you're an employee, what should you be looking for? What's the kind of manager you want to work for? When we look at leadership, I think one of the things that connects us is that, that human connection. So I'm looking for a manager that not only I perceive to have sort of a mastery of what they're trying to move forward from a business standpoint, but I'm looking for someone who displays characteristics of empathy. I'm looking for somebody who's bringing their humanity to the table and is really owning all parts of their life. I'm looking for somebody who acknowledges that work is part of who we are, but not the sum total of what we do so that there's flexibility that if I have something personal that comes up, I'm going to feel that I have the psychological safety, quite frankly, to bring that forward. And I think that's going to be a critically important part of what I'm looking for in somebody. I also, and you know, having gone through different organizations, I want to know where this person came from. So what were their past experiences? Do they have benchmarks um, of only having worked at one organization? And so their entire, I would say, leadership chassis is built on one singular model. Or have they had dynamics, right, in their, in their career that brings up different ways to lead, different experiences? And we're really getting the sum total um, of that person's work experience because I love kind of the different colors. Of, of somebody's past experience. And I think it makes it really interesting. And those are the people that I personally get energized by um, and that power sort of my own desire to perform at my best. I love that. And it's something I haven't always thought about. It's a great point. So could you be willing to tell us about a mistake you've made along the way and what we can all learn from it? Yeah, so, you know, I think we started to touch on it a little bit earlier I'm an, I'm an A-type person. I, I come in, you know, guns blazing. I see myself as a change agent. And so I think a mistake that I've made is coming in just trying to enact change from the beginning instead of really kind of sitting back and understanding the organization. And I think for a lot of us who are incredibly good at what we do and have a deep subject matter expertise, it's very easy to come in and say, well, you should do this, 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 and I can see that this needs to happen, and right, you're already starting to solution. But in order to make any change in an organization, you really need to do a deeper dive in understanding how they function, how they make decisions, um, what their risk tolerance is, and if you don't take the time to do that, they're going to reject you initially, and they're going to, I think, not be as willing to go on the journey with you. And so if the mistake I made, it's trying to drive things forward as the champion instead of truly building the army and taking people along the journey with me. Um, and I think, you know, the saying is what, if you want to go fast, you go alone. If you want to go far, you go together. And I think that's really true um, when I think about, about something I could have done better. Absolutely. I love it. And we also talked a lot about this idea of self-awareness. Can you tell me more about that and some of the work you've done around that? Yeah, I think it's right. And I think this is important when we go back to leaders. Self-awareness is absolutely critical um, in being able to move 
anything forward. You have to realize, right, how are people perceiving you? And I think with women, I, what's going to be really important to this audience, we know that there's gender bias. So if you don't have the awareness that you are, as a woman, maybe more assertive, right, people could be perceiving you as more aggressive, right? Instead of being strategic, maybe you're seeing it being a little bit more calculated. Um, I would say self-awareness is critically important because it's not only how you see yourself and how you perceive that you're showing up, but it's really in how others are receiving yours that you're bringing to the table. And that ultimately, right, is determining how, whether or not you can be successful in doing what you need to do because perception a lot of times transitions into the reality of how they're experiencing you. Yeah, I love it. It's such good advice. And um, you're encouraging me to pursue more information about how others perceive me. But as I mentioned, I'm also deathly afraid of doing that. Yeah, and I think we discussed, there's this really fun exercise that you can do. Take five minutes, you reach out to a couple of people and you ask them to tell you the three most distinguishing qualities about yourself. And so it's a real quick rapid fire way to find out how others are receiving you. Um, and then some of them you look at and you cringe and go, oh God, is that how you see others? I think is spot on, but it starts to identify probably opportunities for self growth. Yes, I, I think it's a great idea. And I makes me, it makes me just nauseous to think about doing it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so before we wrap up, I'm going to ask you our fun, fast five questions. Okay. What is your favorite karaoke song? Oh my goodness. Probably living on a prayer. Love it. Love that yes. song. What is your favorite way to exercise your body or your mind? Sounds like you like to go on runs. I love to run. That just the, the sound of my feet hitting the ground is just zen-like for me. Love that. Who is one person dead or alive you would like to have dinner with? Oh, that's a great question. It would probably be my great grandma who immigrated to the United States from Italy with seven kids on a boat. Oh my gosh, I can't even um, imagine. Yes, I would just be wildly curious about um, her journey and her life when she came over uh, to America. What book would you recommend to our audience? Do you have a, a good book? And it can be fiction, it could be nonfiction, whatever, how to. I just finished reading the book, and this is probably very on the nose for what we've discussed, but it's called When Women Rise. And absolutely fantastic. And what I love about it, it provides a really great roadmap for identifying things within yourself, and as well as um, looking at a little bit of how you can change your behaviors as well. So I thought it was just beautifully written. That's great. I love that. All right. And our last personal hard question uh, is, so I, you may know this, but it's a principle of ours that one of the things that holds women back in our careers is that we're just simply not as comfortable bragging. So I'm going to ask you to brag for us about an accomplishment or something that you're really good at, something you're proud of, brag for us. Okay. I would say if I had to um, brag about something, it would be my relentlessness to deliver results when I'm passionate about a cause. Love that. That is a great brag. All right, Allison, I have one last question for you before we go today, which is, what is one last piece of advice you'd want to share with our audience? Uh, our audience, they're ambitious, they're 
challenged in their careers, often they're looking for advice. What's the one thing you tell our audience of, of ambitious women? It actually piggybacks off of, um, quite frankly, the question you, um, you just asked me. There's, there was a study that came out of the University of Montana, and there was a, a quote from the researcher that said, um, something that I like to tell hiring managers is that the woman sitting in front of you is uh, way more impressive than she'll ever lead you to believe. And so what my advice would be for all the women out there is to own what makes you impressive um, and not to shy away from all of your great accomplishments and all of the things that you deliver to an organization and to really own your unique value prop because that is what is your differentiator in the marketplace and that is why people will gravitate towards you and that is why companies will hire you, um, promote you and support you. And so I that would be that. my advice to women. Love it, love it, love it. That's fabulous advice. Allison, it's been so wonderful being with you here today and hearing your story. You've got lots of great perspective and such great energy too. I, I find everything you're doing really inspirational. Thank you for being here with us. Thank you so much. This was so fun and I appreciate you having me. Thanks for joining us today on Fairy God Boss Radio. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and visit us at fairygodboss.com. See you next time.